The most beautiful experiences are usually ones that I did not chase down. They are not ones that I forced. Oh, I love when it's not perfect. We find new things. And I love when I have a new musician that I've never worked with before, whose interpretation is communicating the heart of this character and music. IMHO invites you to be the judge. In this podcast, we turn the microphone back on the leaders of the arts and entertainment industry and ask them to tell us what they really think. These are their unflinching and unfiltered answers and their honest opinions. Today's guest on the IMHO podcast is undeniably one of the world's greatest living vocalists. She is a billboard chart-topping singer-songwriter, recording artist, and leading lady of the Broadway stage. She's on a whirlwind trip down under, fresh from playing the lead role in Broadway smash Waitress, and after this episode, she can add self-help guru to her extensive list of credits. It's the inimitable Shoshana Bean. Hi! I love this intro. Say it again, all of it. It has been a long time between Aussie drinks since your last visit to our fair shores back in 2016. I know that you have ticked off some serious bucket list items during that time. Tell us about some of the highlights. Oh, gosh. Uh, I recorded my fourth and released my fourth studio album, which went to number one on the Billboard charts. So that was very exciting. Um Played the Apollo. I've played the Apollo three times now since in the past year and a half. That's crazy. And uh, went back to Broadway for the first time in, what, 13 years, 14 years, something like that, in Waitress. So done a couple fun things. <laughs> Just a couple. Now, with on, on Waitress, you said that it was 13, 14 years between Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. How, did that, how did that come about? It was so random. Um, I was... Uh, FaceTiming with my friend Gavin Creel at the time that he was playing Dr. Pometer on Broadway opposite Sarah Bareilles. He was in his dressing room. We were like catching up and he was saying how much fun he's having in the show. And he was like, why haven't you ever played Jenna? And I was like, you know, in my mind, thinking of the women who've played it, I couldn't be more different from any of them. And so I was like, why would I ever play Jenna? And he was like, I just feel like it would be a really good fit. I had never seen the show. I'd never heard the music. I knew nothing about it. I think I'd heard, you know, little girls would want to coach. Um, she used to be mine when I would teach master classes. But other than that, I really hadn't heard anything. And then like three weeks later, I had an offer. So I don't know. Something shifted, something changed, someone saw something or felt something that would make me a good fit. And the offer came in and I was like, are you sure it's an offer? Are you sure they don't want to like do a work session to see if this is like maybe legitimately a good fit? No, they're just giving you a straight up offer. Wow. And ultimately, who would have made that call? Would that have been a Sarah Bareilles going, no, she's my next Jenna? I don't know. I think it probably was a conversation because, you know, having been on the inside now with them, I know that there are a couple cooks in the kitchen, a couple people consulted who I've worked with and, and are involved in that decision. And for whatever reason, that's how it came down. And I'm so grateful that it did. If I had known that it was going to be that kind of experience, I, I probably would have aggressively chased it down mm. if I had known what was waiting for me inside of that experience. The most beautiful experiences are usually ones that I did not chase down. They are not ones that I forced into being. They are not ones that I, you know, harped on someone to see me for. They were just, it was the right time. I had obviously done my work and in preparation and for the opportunity to present itself. But, you know, I I do want to say to any aspiring performers listening, you do not have to aggressively muscle the best things into being. They just sort of, in my experience, appear. 
I think mm-hmm. that that doesn't negate doing the work and showing up, but that, you know, hopefully that makes sense. And that, that's a very good thing to point out because while it was 13 years between Broadway credits, you had, of course, been doing a, a ton of musicals across the country. Um, you'd been doing workshops for new musicals, um, all of those sorts of things as well. Yeah. But I also think, yes, I, I had not stopped participating, but I did start participating more strategically and strategically meaning not in any sort of like professional gain, but what was going to be exciting to me and light my heart up because, you know, the whole process of building a show is, it's an arduous task. The commitment is great. You know, at the beginning stages, it's not always the best money, you know, whatever else. So I, I knew I had to choose to go back to that, um, and choose the projects based on what was really going to be exciting to me and, and light my heart up essentially. And, and I just don't think that it, it could have been anything else but waitress that would bring me back. It was so, so, so special. And also all those years in between of not being on Broadway, keep in mind, I've just been touring and touring and touring and doing show after show after show of my own stuff, which led me to be comfortable with a level of vulnerability with an audience that was paramount and imperative with Jenna. I couldn't have done her any moment sooner because there, the element of storytelling and humanity inherent in that character mm. was a skill and a, a muscle like toned in me that was from doing all those solo shows and just being like naked and vulnerable with, and connected with an audience as just myself. No character to hide behind, no smoke and mirrors of a set and lights to hide behind. You know, you've seen my shows, the mm. intimate ones. It's just like me and the audience. And that kind of connectivity, you can't, teach or direct. You just practice it by being in a million different situations in front of a million different audiences who want a million different things. And quite frankly, falling on my face a lot of times and Mm. figuring out like, you know. How to get through. Yeah. For for those who are unfamiliar with the musical Waitress, you know, you mentioned that you didn't feel that you were a uh, Jenna. Yeah. And some big, big Names have played that role, of course, including yeah. Jesse Mueller, Tony Award winner who yeah. originated that role. Yeah. What was it about the role that made you think before doing it that it wasn't right for you? And and how were you different to the Jennies you'd seen come before? I think the the instinct was, you know, I've just been consistently cast in these big, broad, powerful roles. These women, you know, from Fanny Bryce to Cece Bloom to Alphaba to covering Tracy and the other women in Hairspray, you know, big voice, big songs, big personality, you know, powerful characters, um, big humor for Cece and, and Fanny Bryce. So, you know, looking at the women who've played Jenna, they're just more traditional ingenues, they're more tender, more gentle, more vulnerable, just inherently. Not that I don't have those abilities, but I just don't feel the industry had previously seen me that way or offered me that that opportunity, nor do I think that I had given them an opportunity to see me that way. I just always sort of led with a big voice and big stuff to, to probably protect the more softer and vulnerable sides. What do I think I brought differently to the role? Probably, I mean, just without even trying just the the strength. When my Jenna found her strength, when my Jenna had her sort of like turning point moment, 
it was strong. And have you found that that experience playing Jenna has changed the way you now approach and perform your own live shows? Ooh. No, because I think I had already found that in my live shows. The challenge was then. The challenge for me with musical theater has always been the lack of freedom. Because I think in theater, you know, the notes are the black dots on the page. You have your blocking. You have to hit these numbers. And, you know, you're largely given this direction and then it's locked. Because in certain shows, Wicked being a prime example, it is very dangerous for you and everyone else involved if you are not precisely hitting these marks, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I lived to tell about it. I, you know, was half not paying attention one day and didn't step on the right mark on the elevator lift coming up for no good deed. And I got my heel caught and the show has to stop and I'm injured. And, and you know what I mean? Like you don't, you cannot afford to be even half an inch off. Mm-hmm. So there is, and especially in a massive musical like Wicked, like if I sang an alternate note, the music director was in my dressing room at intermission. You know what I mean? There's just no room for interpretation, even with the acting. If I tried to make new choices, there was often the associate director coming into my dressing room. Like, you know, there just wasn't room. And it was really stifling and frustrating for me. And it made me feel like I was doing musical theater wrong. You know, it made me feel like I just didn't have the instincts to do it right. And so I went away for a very long time and found this incredible freedom of expression in my solo shows and in my own music of messing up and it being okay, of trying something new, falling flat on your face and trying something new the next night. And I went through a a crazy evolution with it of like flogging myself and being furious when things weren't perfect because I'm from the theater to being like, oh, I love when it's not perfect. We find new things. And I love when I have a new musician that I've never worked with before. It's not going to be anything like I've done it before, but that's so cool. There's still audience members, you know, particularly the the music theater mega fans who are coming to hear their favorite song the way they know it to be. And also these people come back again and again and waitress especially, they have turned that cast over so many times and the the intent and the effect has been these people return and return and return to see every interpretation of Jenna there is and they have opinions about it and they rank them and they post about them <laughs> and tag you in them because yeah. uh, they somehow think that I want to know their opinion about me versus Kat or me versus Jesse like you know what I mean and it's it's hard to stand your own keep your own space and 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 maintain the freedom to discover and express despite and in the face of other people's opinions, you know, it's so hard. And I don't remember it being that way with Wicked because AI was the first replacement. So there wasn't a t- it was just Adina. And I knew I was going to draw comparisons and I knew that it wasn't going to be enough for some people because I'll never be Adina Menzel. It's just not. And I think I went in with that mentality of like, I don't care what you say because I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, of course, of course you want a Dina. I get that. But there also was, wasn't as wide of a platform for them to express themselves back then. Mm. There were chat rooms. There was the beginning of YouTube, which was like torture. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Instagram. There wasn't MySpace. MySpace was just breaking if you're probably too young to even know what that was. But I, you know, they couldn't tag me in that stuff. I would have to seek it out those chat rooms and and the YouTube. Now I open my Instagram and there's a million posts with me tagged in them. Mm. And some of them, it's like, who's your favorite? And I'm tagged in it. And then there's a litany of comments that are, it's <laughs> I'm not the favorite. The whole premise of the IMHO platform and podcast is that 
everyone's a critic. <laughs> and and we had an interesting conversation offline last night about I, I'd asked you if you'd seen there's a, a wonderful video <laughs> of you singing She Used to Be Mine, which was a recording that you had put out. But then a vocal coach watches, you know, the, the, this video is the vocal coach assessing your performance note by note. You'll be very pleased to know that you get top <laughs> marks. However, literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have seen this video and yet you have not. How, do you actively choose not to look at stuff that is put out about you or, 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 or do you just stumble on it by chance? How, how does that work? If I can help it, I stay away. Even if it's positive, you're going to, yeah. st- you, you know, you say that the, the vocal coach's response is lovely, but sure enough, I'll start scrolling down the comments and there's going to be something hateful. So I try to just steer clear of it. It's so sad the way that our brains work. You know, there can be a hundred positive comments and one nasty one, and that's the one I hang my hat on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I think it's just self-loathing and the nature of the artistic mind is just, you're only as good as the worst comment. You know what I mean? Mm. I went to the closing night of Waitress and there's something very strange about seeing someone else play a role that you've played that is so close to you. And I really thought, you know, I'm going to walk in because we were, you know, there to see the the closing show and then go to the after party. I'm like, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to watch the opening number. I'm going to cry. I'm going to go have a cocktail across the street. I don't want to sit through the show and essentially watch someone else sleep with my husband is what it feels like. Someone else is sleeping with your man, watching someone in your costume play. You know, we all feel some type of an ownership over this role, right? And I didn't leave. I watched the entire show. I was wrapped watching Catherine a completely different interpretation of the exact same script, the exact same character, the Mm. exact same role, the exact same music. It was fascinating to me and beautiful to watch someone else. I learned from watching her. So, you know, that's what it can be Mm. and, and should be if you are confident enough in your own skin and able to root someone else on and love someone else. At the same time, it can all exist. And so I try to steer clear of anything that, is like a direct who's better because to mm. me none of us is better it's just a different interpretation one of your phenomenal professional achievements and one that's perhaps little known is that you actually laid the original demo for Pasek and Paul's This Is Me the the anthem from the greatest showman yeah. film mm-hmm. How does it feel then when you, you know, that was something that was yours first and then you see it take on an entirely different life and, and dare I say it, a much bigger life mm-hmm. in somebody else's hands? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I never took ownership of it in that way. I never thought of it as mine. Um, I thought of myself as assisting to people that I hold very dear in, you know, trying to get a motor going, trying to get something off the ground. At that point, I know that they had struggled with getting the song that was going to actually propel this project forward. And they found it in This Is Me. It was kind of like a turning point for their whole journey with that that movie. So more than anything, I was just happy to show up for them, be a part of it. And it was extraordinary to watch it, to watch it grow. I remember telling them like this I said to them, this song is an anthem, not just for this movie. This this song is a movement. And it was. It became an anthem for, you know, the underdog in general. 
For most aspiring music theatre performers, be it here in Australia or anywhere in the world, the, the ultimate goal is to make it to Broadway. <laughs> when you do that, what becomes the new goal? There's this beautiful quote that I saw the other day. I'm looking it up in my phone by, by Judith Light. Can I read it? Is mm. that gratuitous? Work should be within the context of our life. The context is life. And there are all these different things we do within that context. And work is just one of them. That's what this is about. It's not about the next thing you're going to get, the next career move, and the next thing you think you should be doing, which is all I ever thought about, which is why I was so miserable and unhappy. When I started reframing everything, recontextualizing everything, it all started falling into a place in a way that was that it was supposed to work. That it's not magical. It's not, if I get this, if I get that, that's not the way it works. And I wish I had known that then, but I had to go through the process. And that resonated with me so strongly because that's what you think. I'll be happy when, or like, you know, I just got to get this. I got to get to Broadway. Mm. I got to get, I got to get. And then you get there and you're like, why is this not enough? Mm. Because it's not the Holy Grail. It's one of many things in life. And I think the goal in life is to just feel connected and seen and fully expressed and you get the opportunity to do that within being on Broadway or being a lead or originating a role. But, you know, does that make sense? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the IMHO self-help podcast <laughs> with Shoshana B. It always turns into that with me. Come on. <laughs> now, we've spoken a lot about your illustrious career illustrious. on the stage. Um, but let's know about your recording, you know, equally as successful, charts-topping, literally chart-topping, um, <laughs> recording and singer-songwriter career, yeah. how do you, do you have a favourite? Is it, you know, between writing and creating those original works in a pop space or jazz space, R&B, um, versus your performances on stage? I actually hate writing, so there's that. Not anymore I don't have a preference. I think for a long time I stayed away from theatre because I was enjoying the freedom and um, the sort of autonomy of making my own music and calling my own shots and being in charge of everything. Because again, as I said earlier, it's just, it just felt free. And now having gone back to do some theater in the past, you know, six, seven years, it's been really nice to not be in charge mm. when I'm in the show, you know? Mm. So now I realize I just have the gift of being able to do both. And I love both. I think for a long time, I felt like I had to be very black and white. Things have changed a lot in the past 14 years, 13, 14 years. You are not only allowed to, but almost expected to master multiple fields, you know, mm. from stage to television, to film, to recording, to podcasts, to writing books, to, you know, self-help, whatever it is, you're almost expected to to generate as much output and be as many places as possible. And that was not the case when I was on Broadway 13 years ago. Um, if you were on Broadway, you were just a Broadway performer. Mm. It was rare that you could bust through to the TV and film. It was rare if someone in the recording industry deemed you pop enough to also make a record. And now that's not the case. So I feel more inspired to and more excited to and allowed to conquer as many things as possible. Mm. Uh, we love to finish every uh, podcast interview with a section we call Five Honest Answers. Yep. It's our quick fire round. We want the first thing that pops into your head, your open and honest responses. Number one for you, Shoshana, if you had the power to ban one production from ever being performed again, <laughs> what would it be? 
so sorry, but I saw bad out of hell. I saw bad out of hell. I can't, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can't air that. I can't say that. You've said it. Oh, God. Can you please take it off? You can't. <laughs> Number two, what is your pet audience peeve? At the shows in New York, we they sell these plastic souvenir glasses and people drink their drinks and the ice clings up and down at the quietest moments. Like the moment I've seen my baby for the first time in Waitress, <laughs> at the moment I'm about to sing She Used to Be Mine. Oh my God, the concessions. It's not even just the ice. It's really the ice, but like the plastic to open the Twizzlers. I'm like, this is not a movie. I am a real life human <laughs> having a real life experience and you are taking me and everyone around you out of it. Have you ever done a Patty Lapone where you've stopped no, the No, but I have wanted to. I have stared in the direction of where the noise is coming from and waited. I have stared and I... I uh, <laughs> have you ever walked out of a performance before it had finished? No, I've wanted to, but I never have. And spill the beans on the best after party you've been to. Oh, gosh. I'm only going to have to say the waitress closing night because it just happened and it's the freshest on my mind and it was so beautiful and felt like such a celebration of such a beautiful experience with so many people that were so connected to one another. <laughs> And finally, and this one might be hard for you to answer in light of what we've been speaking about earlier, but what is the strangest or most bizarre thing you've read about yourself? This one performance, and I hate to ruin the, the myth, there's this one performance on YouTube that I sang No Good Deed on Martha Stewart for Halloween. And I was sick. I had a terrible cold. And they love, there's this new rumor going around that I had a hundred and something degree fever. <laughs> which I never took my temperature. I have no idea. I don't know where that rumor started, who started it, why and they chose why? that number or why that matters. But I definitely <laughs> did not take my temperature. I definitely never spoke about it. Uh, I don't know how anyone knew I was sick. I definitely was sick. But I don't, I don't know. That's the craziest, that's the craziest rumor, like thing I've read. Yeah. The rest is just like hurtful things. <laughs> oh, magic. Thank you, Shoshana. We love having you here Thank in Australia. We loved me. having you on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to your next visit down on Park. Thank you, my love. Thanks for listening to IMHO. Make sure you subscribe and, in the spirit of the podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to great podcasts. For honest opinions, ratings you can relate to, and the latest arts and entertainment news, check out inmyhonestopinion.com.au. 